Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamers official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. How are you holding up this week? Well, I just got back from finally getting to see the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which is pretty cool. Yeah, you were just kind of like out and about all week, going from here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, I was hanging out at the Millennium Falcon, because I'm awesome. Cool, lucky you. I, uh, yeah, Galaxy's Edge is amazing. Uh, I didn't get to build the lightsaber. Oh, I've seen Pixel Dan build one. It looked pretty fun. Uh, mostly because I don't want a big hunk of metal sitting on my mantle. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where you put big hunks of metal. Uh, but the actually going in the Millennium Falcon and standing near the, the chess table and then doing the ride, awesome. I felt like I was in the Millennium Falcon. That's pretty cool. I would actually, like, I'm not like a humongous Star Wars fan, but I'd still very much like to visit Galaxy's Edge. Oh, yeah, you totally should. And it's a lot bigger than it seems. Oh, okay, yeah, so it's like, a, I guess it has just like this real, it has like so much to offer by the sounds of it, just a, you can touch a property that's so big, just sprawling at this point. Yeah, it's neat, because you go from the Frontierland, which is this weird American kitsch with like the Western and uh, the Mississippi River and all that stuff. Uh-huh. And then you suddenly hear this chime, uh-huh. almost like you're stepping into a different world, and then you see an X-Wing. That's that's really cool. A life-size X-Wing, life-size A-Wing, uh, and then you see this awesome kind of marketplace where people are selling, well, merch, <laughs> mm-hmm. and eventually, finally, you emerge to see the Millennium Falcon is all, in all of its glory. So I like how America Frontier is right beside it, like the, the new state in uh america is star wars (laughs) i mean it is at this point right it pretty much is it very much is all right so there's a lot happening in the rpg space right now nadia a lot of it pertaining to the nintendo switch and elsewhere uh i mean among other things witcher 3 is now out on the switch yes it is and uh, i still have to play it because as we will be talking about today i'm busy with uh, trails of cold steel 3 is in addition to luigi's mansion that's right you've been reviewing trails of cold steel 3 uh, yes. Mike reviewed Disco Elysium, which is quietly getting, well, maybe not Game of the Year buzz, but it's pretty dang high up there. Yeah, it's getting a lot of social media buzz. It's going to be one of those surprise hits of the year. And Katie reviewed Little Town Hero, which is the opposite of that. Yeah, that's sad. Can I just say that the stupidest controversy of the year are all the people saying that Little Town Heroes stole all of the resources from Pokemon Sword and Shield? <laughs> Isn't that just the funniest thing? Like, I can't imagine anything that that makes it more obvious that you do not know what you're talking about when it comes to, to game development. It just blows my mind. It's getting review bombed. I know. Which is like, oh, okay, I know the game's not that good, fine, but they're obviously review bombing it because they think it killed Pokemon or the national decks. Not that it needs any, like, worse reviews in any case. Yeah, it's uh, it's not doing so well. It's very meh at this point. Yeah, I think we gave it a 2 out of 5, which is, well, it's too bad. But also yeah. a lot of Pokemon impressions came out this week. Yeah, it's a big week for Pokemon impressions. Uh, I think these are the first real sort of serious previews that we're getting. Yeah. Apparently the wild area is gigantic. Uh, yeah, apparently it's supposed to be, uh, here's a unit of measurement for you, quote-unquote, as big as two areas in Breath of the Wild, which is um, not small by any means, but you have to remember that Breath of the Wild has uh, differing area sizes, so I'm kind of curious to see what that means. Sounds pretty damn big, honestly. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's perfectly fine for a Pokemon game, because when you come right down to it, uh, I adore Breath of the Wild, but when you get to the really huge areas, like the mountainous areas, there's not a lot going on. 
and I'd rather have it smaller and have like a lot of Pokemon and cool things and cool things to find. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing all of the wild Pokemon. We've been talking about this forever, with being like, why isn't Pokemon more like Dragon Quest Monsters Joker, where it's the the massive ecosystems and everything? Well, it sounds like we're finally getting that. Yeah, it sounds like uh, from what I re- read of the previews, it's kind of an extension of what we got in Let's Go, which was getting to see the Pokemon on the uh, on the actual world map. Uh, except uh, some people who who have previewed it have said it's even you know more active than that, more you know alive, which is it sounds really good because yes, I really I played Pokemon Joker. I can't remember which one the last one was released. It was on the DS, but uh, I played that and I was really impressed by how the monsters really felt like they were part of the world versus Pokemon, which not as well at that point because they were still using random encounters. Indeed. All right, really quickly, some quick housekeeping. If you're enjoying Acts of the Blood God, can I please invite you to go and review us over on Stitcher or iTunes. We always enjoy seeing positive reviews. It lifts our day and it also improves visibility of the show. Also, on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. My DMs are open if you want to send a note, uh, ask a question. We do a mailbag pretty much once a month at this point, so I may save up your message and read it on the show. And also we have a newsletter. Nadia, what was the newsletter about this week? Well, speaking of Pokemon, uh, we learned a bit about uh, new Gigantamax forms, uh, and uh, they are all uh, regulated to Gen 1 Pokemon. Uh, We have a giant sort of long cat Meowth, a Godzilla-looking Charizard, a Mothra-looking Butterfree, and a uh, big, chunky, fat Pikachu is back as a Gigantamax Pikachu, and he looks adorable. But uh, some people are kind of irritated, and they have been irritated for a long time about uh, just apparently they think uh, Gen 1 is hogging too much of the attention. They think, oh, why isn't Game Freak paying attention to Gen 3 or 4 or 5 or, or whatever? And my answer to that is I feel, and this was in the newsletter, by the way, just uh, putting that out there, I feel like these new forms, these uh, Gal- these new Galar forms that a lot of the Kanto Pokemon are being revised as, they have really fun redesigns that really match up well with the Galar region. So it's not like I'm looking at them and saying, oh, this is lazy, this is a recolor. I mean, Surfest is great. Uh, and uh, Giant Fat Pikachu, I'm glad he's back. Long Cat Meowth, I was not expecting that. So... There's a lot there to like, and I'm not exactly upset that it's all Generation 1, especially after listening to years and years and years of uh, Gen 1 is the best, and all of a sudden nobody likes Gen 1 anymore. I'm not jiving with that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, they did go out and update some of the other older designs. Yeah, like uh, Lanoon, Lanoon is the, uh, which I I love the original Lanoon, so I'm glad to see that he's getting he looks like a kiss member now that's great (laughs) (laughs) well if you want to go read nadia's takes and also get updates on rpg news that are coming out this week can i recommend that you subscribe to our newsletter you can find the subscription info on the site just go to the home page scroll down you'll find the subscription info so and you can look forward to that every single wednesday okay nadia let's talk a little bit about trails of cold steel three yes Earlier this year, <laughs> so backstory, and maybe people who listen to our 200th episode will remember this. I showed up with a big old copy of Trails of Cold Steel, the deluxe edition, and dropped it on your desk. <laughs> or not even your desk. We were <laughs> no. hanging out at the hotel for PAX East. and We were hanging out, yeah. And you used 
like this big ass box of Trails of Cold Steel, the definitive edition, to prop up the microphone so we could actually record that day. Yeah, because we had this crazy setup in order to try and minimize the sound and everything. And it worked out really well, actually. <laughs> it worked out great. That was one of our best episodes, I think. Yeah, for sure. But and then I was like, here you go, Nadia. <laughs> and it was all a trick because I wanted you to be an expert in Trails of Cold Steel. So we would have somebody in house to actually review it. Yes. And uh, here I am. Uh, I don't know if I'd call myself an expert because there is a lot of history going on in this game. But uh, yes, I am definitely the most competent on the staff, I think. What is, is, is there a TV show that you would compare this to where just a giant new entry drops periodically or a movie? I, I think of it more as a fantasy book series because I don't really watch a lot of television, to be honest with you. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm a loser. But yeah, it actually, the Trail series reminds me a lot of a standard, just a good basic fantasy novel series. Because when you get a new entry, for the most part, you're getting uh, a continuation of the story that you got in the last quote-unquote book. And when you really think about it, and this is something I brought up in my review briefly, there are so few RPG series that let you do that. You know, Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, uh, even the ones that are vaguely connected to each other, you are, for the most part, starting a whole new journey with a whole new cast of characters. Uh, whereas the Trails games, of course, they introduce new characters every game, but you are kind of supposed to know who these characters are from the previous games and what role they continue to play in this massive ongoing war that will not stop in Erebonia. It kind of reminds me of John Wick, honestly. <laughs> I would not, like, I, I, I am going to watch John Wick at some point, but even when I do, I'm not going to just start at two. I'm going to start, like, at one, because I know the whole thing's supposed to be appreciated as a collective. Yes, because they follow on directly from one on to the next. Right. And to be fair, I really like, you know, stories that do that in uh, in games because, like I said, they're pretty rare. I think of it more as, like, I'm a huge Dragonlance fan, like that old 80s, 90s uh, fantasy book series. And it reminds me very much of that where you had, like, uh, this long saga going on for, for several books. So uh, it, it, it reminds me of that. You know, I skipped Matameo and then went back and read Redwall back in the day. So you started with Matameo? That's what I meant. Okay, okay. So you started with Matameo. That is weird. Why would you do that? Uh, because I was at the library and I saw this book that looked pretty neat and I checked it out <laughs> and I, I was reading it and I did not realize that it was a follow-up to a previous book. Well, that's fair. Uh, you know, my first Redwall book was Mossflower, and it got me interested enough in Redwall to start reading that. Yeah, that's the prequel. Yeah, that's the prequel, so it kind of was a little bit better than reading the sequel to Redwall and then going back to Redwall. But those books weren't called, like, Redwall 1, Redwall 2, Redwall 3. No, no. Uh, whereas Trails is 1, 2, and 3 is pretty obvious. Uh, I guess uh, Trails in the Sky is a prequel to those games. You skipped Trails of Cold Steel, too. I did. I didn't have time to get to it. Uh, there is a um, there. There are summaries of what went on, and, and of course, there's big, long profiles for every character in the game in case you missed out. And that's fine. It's great. It was informative. I actually sat there for like over an hour just reading what happened in Trails Two and getting caught up. But it's not quite the same as actually going through Trails Two. Uh, so I would absolutely recommend if you are interested in Trails Three and you have not played the previous two, play the previous two. They're They've been remastered, they're easy to find, they're easy to get, they're they're worth your time if you're kind of into that sort of very anime-style 
uh, RPG. Uh, so that would be my recommendation to you. Yeah, it's kind of Valkyria Chronicles meets what Full Metal Alchemist meets a few other different kind of anime tropes with the Battle Academy setting and everything. Yeah, it's very it's very much a combination of so many things and yet its own thing. Like it reminds me, of course, of Persona with a school setting, but it also reminds me of Suikoden with a very political setting, uh, and it reminds me of uh, every. JRPG that has any sort of uh, anime tropes in it because it has plenty of those too, but not really in a bad way. It's a it's a fun little mishmash. I I enjoyed how like tropey these characters are, thanks in part to uh, I think has a great localization, so that helps a lot. Was it what was it like to jump straight from Trails of Cold Steel to Trails of Cold Steel Three? Uh, it wasn't too bad because uh, Trails was still pretty fresh in my mind. I had read up on Trails too. Uh, and I do regret not playing through Trails 2 because a lot of really interesting story twists happen, and I, you know, it'd just be, just be more fun to watch them versus uh, having to read about them. But I, w- I didn't, like, feel too lost or anything like that. I wasn't like, oh no, what's going on? I have no idea what's going on. Although uh, occasionally characters come out of the mist and say, hi, Reen, and there's like, hey, it's you. I'm like, hey, I don't know who you are. One of the problems I've found with these RPG series is that... From game to game, they have to contend with the fact that by the end of the original game, the characters are very powerful. Yes. And then you have to restart that power curve, basically. Do they do anything to address that in Trails of Cold Steel 3? I actually had someone ask me, oh, can you carry over data from the previous games? And I did not see a prompt to do that. I'm not saying it's not possible. It might have been something I completely missed. But I do know that I have, like, the save files uh, from... Trails of Cold Steel on my PS4, and Reen pretty much started over. There's actually a uh, a sword tech he has uh, called Gale, and it's very powerful in the first game. And I had to relearn that. It was I don't know the excuse he gave for that, but it was something. <laughs> so yes, you are pretty much. I I, I don't want to say you're starting over like a naked babe or anything, but you are you are starting over definitely. That's weird. I think that it is a little weird. I think what they should do is kind of treat it like an anime where your characters are powerful, but there are new levels of power with each game. Yeah, that would be nice. I wonder if it's because Reen has a different role this time around. Like he's still a war hero, but he's a kind of the professor at a bad school. So maybe he just uh, forgets everything so quickly because his students traumatize him or something. I don't know. So, can you just, without spoiling too much, give me an idea of the main thrust of what's happening in the story? Uh, in Trails 2, there was a civil war between the nobles and the, the Empire. And that's, uh, uh, Reen was the hero of that. It all wrapped up. Reen graduated from Thor's, along with his friends, and they all went their separate ways, except Reen went to go on to teach at the new branch of Thor's, which was built in a, in a, like a real hurry, because it turns out the royal family of Erebonia is... Uh, going to the original Thor's branch. So they kind of took all the problematic students and put them in this new branch. <laughs> kind of like in my review, I compared it to, uh, you know, that episode of The Simpsons where uh, Principal Skinner puts all the bad kids in utility basement B while the superintendent visits? It's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like that. So, uh, you know, eventually, like his like students, of course, think he's lame at first and like are too much of a braggart, but they eventually warm up to him, you know, how it is in anime stuff. Uh, and uh, to put things very quickly... There's still, even though the Civil War is over, there's still a lot of political intrigue going on in the background. Uh, there's still a lot of, like, you know, you know, war and monsters and stuff like that boiling in the background. And it's just, it all kind of surfaces 
as the game goes on. That's what you have to deal with. Is this the end of a trilogy? Uh, no, I think that the there is another game. There is four. I don't know if it's out yet in Japan, but it is going to be out soon. And three does end on a cliffhanger, so uh, four is, I guess, might be the end of it. So this isn't the first time that we've talked about Trails of Cold Steel on this podcast. I think if you go back maybe a year or two, you can find an interview with Jason Schreier, who is a huge booster of the Trails series. And also we've interviewed the uh, the writers uh, or the localizers on Trails of Cold Steel in the past. Um, but I'm curious, Nadia, like now that you've had a whole bunch of time with this series, uh, do you like it? And would you recommend it to your to the fans? Like, what's your take on it? I do like it. Um, I was not expecting to like it very much, uh, especially when the first game opens up with a boob joke. And it's like, oh, God, here we go. But the more time I spent with uh, the first game, the more I liked it. I was genuinely looking forward to three. I really do want to go back and, and do two again. Um, I will get four when it comes out because I, I generally like the characters. I like the history of the country. Um, one thing I really like about this series, and it's so stupid, but you would think it's perfectly in line for a game called Trails of Cold Steel. I really like the trains. There's a lot of cool trains <laughs> in this game. Trails of Cold Steel 3 has you going around the country on an armored train, and it's just really, really fancy inside, and it's really high-tech and cool, and I just think that's amazing. Uh, but yes, I would, I would, I would recommend it. I'm, I'm not going to go in there saying, oh, your mind's going to be blown. This is the next Final Fantasy. This is the next, you know, Dragon Quest. But as far as it goes for, like, a, a, a admittedly structured good RPG, yes, um, I have no problem recommending it. I think it has great localization, which again helps a lot. Graphics are, are good. Battle system is still good. Uh, I find it really holds up well in Trails 3. That's uh, probably the series' strongest point for me, at least. Uh, I find that it it's still fun to fight enemies. It's still fun to find, uh, you know, the the uh, courts that you equip spells with. So I, I enjoy the character building in the game. Uh, yeah, overall, I easily recommend it. Uh, wouldn't mind talking to Schreier about it sometime. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's the kind of game for somebody who just wants a really straightforward RPG epic. It, it, it's hard to explain. It is a little bit like Persona in that you are going from month to month, week to week, uh, not quite day to day, but but close at times. So it's not the kind of RPG like Dragon Quest where you're out in a big open world and go wherever you want, whenever you want. It is definitely structured. But uh, sometimes when you get overwhelmed by an RPG, that's not such a bad thing. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, my recollection of Trails of Cold Steel was that it was actually quite structured. And yes. it would be going basically from chapter to chapter, where it's like yeah, the students are meeting up for the first time and having their first adventure together. And then now they're going on a mission, and they're, one group of students is on a train, and another group of students is elsewhere. And also the students are getting to know one another and maybe potentially having romantic tension. <laughs> yeah, it's very much like that uh, with the addition of in Trails 3. There's actually a really good sort of card game that I enjoyed playing. I can't remember the name of it, but I do know that it was built on a card game that Falcom released way back when. Uh, they never released it outside of Japan, but it's it's a little bit like Hearthstone. And it's a lot of fun. Better than Triple Triad? Uh, I haven't played enough Triple Triad to judge, <laughs> so I'll, I'll hold off on that one, but I'll let you know. Triple Triad is the GOAT. <laughs> It is, Triple Triad, from what I hear, is the go-to. A lot of people like it, and they have good reason to, I hear. 
Yeah, it's better than Hearthstone at this point. <laughs> Ouch, but you're probably right. Yeah, it doesn't have all that political baggage attached to it. <laughs> That's true, except for the uh, whatever's going on in CD, they always have political baggage going on. When it comes to Trails of Cold Steel 3's uh, romances and that kind of thing, uh, is there a canon relationship? Um, I don't think so. I don't think the first one had a, a canon relationship. There's always Everyone's always trying to get in Rain's pants, which makes it harder. And of course, you have like the uh, uh, prerequisite Sundere chick. In this case, uh, her name is uh, Yune, or I can't remember, Yoon or something like that. I'm, I'm just blanking on her name. I know it's a J that's pr- not pronounced as a J. She has pink hair. <laughs> Who's your favorite character? I still love Reen. Reen has always been one of my favorite characters in the series. Him and uh, there's kind of a very tall nomad guy named uh, Gaius, who I like. Who's uh, He kind of has that sly smile. And they're like, oh, I know exactly what he's about. But then when you meet him, he's this very pious, gentle sort of guy who's, uh, who's, who's, uh, who's, who's just really nice and just not at all the kind of person I'd expect him to be. So that was a nice surprise. So this game's basically if Harry came back and Harry Potter came back and he was a professor. <laughs> I think Reen is better than Harry. Just just putting that out there. Oh, why is that? Uh, Harry was never one of my favorite characters. He just, I don't know, he, he just rants in all caps a lot. So yeah, when it comes to the Trails of Cold Steel series, I think that if you've never played it before... Perhaps it is the series that you play for the political intrigue and the stories and also the anime tropes. All of those things layered together. And, I mean, Trails of Cold Steel 2 ultimately uh, wraps up one of the major arcs, but maybe Trails of Cold Steel 3 is kind of an epilogue, or at the very least it carries things forward um, and advances the story even more. So, I don't know, after like three games wouldn't you get a little do you feel attached to these characters i like them yeah i like them enough i actually had a friend of mine who uh was talking to me about the first game a long time ago and then she said oh i'm really sorry i recommended trace of cold steel to you it's so anime tropey it's so you know boring it's so this and this and this and i'm like i like the i like the series like first of all i played it because it was kind of required of me and i didn't expect to like it but i did uh second of all i found myself kind of attached to the characters i don't really want to, you know, go out there and write a ton of fanfic about them or anything, but I like them. I think the battle system's pretty strong. Battle system is very strong. I still enjoy it very much, and it's still... Bosses in this game are still very challenging. Mm. They can really ream you if you're not careful. Like how so? Uh, They can inflict status effects like mad, and they're not afraid to do it. Plus, a lot of the time, you are rarely against just just one boss. You are against a boss and a bunch of minions or something like that. I like the positional aspects of it. Yeah, that's also um, it's also uh, an interesting uh, uh, mechanic to have because some characters are long-distance fighters. Uh, guns actually play a very big role in the Trail series. And uh, you have your characters who are, you know, melee fighters, but they have short reach. You know, characters who, have, who are melee fighters but have a little bit of a longer reach, like if they have spears. So, yeah, I enjoy that aspect as well. All right, Nadia, any parting shots on Trails of Cold Steel 3? Um, if you are a Trails fan, by all means, you will like it. In fact, I have seen some early reviews from Trails fans who really do like it very much. Uh, if you are not a Trails fan, if you're new to the series, I wouldn't start with it. Definitely start with one because it's on the on the shop. It's easy to find. It's easy to get. It's, uh, I don't remember the prices. It's not exactly expensive. 
So, yeah, you could do a lot worse for a good, solid JRPG series. It's the usual story with Falcom. They just know what they do, and they do it well. I wish I could get into this series. Uh, you're into enough series, right? you got plenty to do. I do. It, it feels like this should be totally, like, catnip for me, because it's kind of a wartime setting. It's anime, uh, the Battle Academy, that kind of th- thing. A reasonably meaty battle system and all of that. But I think that the pacing in the first game in particular really, like, weighed on me. Yeah, and I mean, the pacing is the pacing in the Trails game, so I I don't think you're going to find anything really, you know, humongously new about the third one. And you had to really get invested in the characters, and while the politics and the world building are relatively interesting, I always felt like the characters themselves weren't that particularly, you know, they were kind of just anime archetypes. They do get kind of better about that as you go on through the game, but it does take a while. So if you're just instantly turned off by, like, you anime tropes, like, then <laughs> I understand why you just uh, kind of bounced. Because, I mean, at the beginning of the series, Reen is just sort of your, what, your typical uh, kind of bashful anime boy, right? And then there's the gal with the long hair who's kind of a mean girl. <laughs> that kind of <laughs> Alora. thing. Yeah, but she turns, she's not really mean so much as she is just like kind of nobility and she's uh, very proper because her father is a, is like a really distinguished uh, swordsman. Yeah, they in, they introduced the conflicts between the nobility and the common folk uh, relatively early on. Yeah, there's like a real, there's a conflict between the nobles, the common folk and the empire. And that kind of goes into the civil war in the second game. And Fire Emblem does a lot of the same things. Even though Fire Emblem has also goes into anime archetypes and that kind of thing, I think it has better artists who yeah, yeah. don't fall back so much on the kind of the cliche character designs. So even though the personalities aren't that different, at least the characters are a lot of fun. Yeah, I will say that um, much as I like the Trails characters, I sometimes think of, oh, this one has the pink hair and this one has the white hair, you know? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. But hey, I mean, beyond that, I think that it is a like really strong uh, kind of cult favorite RPG. So you should go check out that series. All right, Nadia, thanks for your review. Let's continue on and keep talking about more RPGs. Don't go away. All right, we're here with uh, our senior editor, Katie McCarthy. Hi. And our reviews editor, Mike Williams. Hello, hello. Also, Nadia is still here. Hi, how y'all doing? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about a bunch of RPGs because a whole lot of them came out on the Nintendo Switch just recently. It's actually pretty ridiculous. Um, Mike, you literally just posted an article about how the interface uh for Baldur's gate and all of those games translate actually surprisingly well to the switch yeah so for like a long time the i mean they're called crpgs isometric rpgs whatever you want to call them all of the old infinity engine games and the classic fallout and all that stuff never really made it over to uh consoles at all they were just over on the pc side where they stayed uh but probably over i'd say past like three four years developers have actually been making strides and bringing those games over and 
probably the biggest one for me was Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2, but Beam Dog has brought over Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, Icewind Dale and Planescape Torment to Switch, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One. I was playing the Switch version, and uh, it's it's really nice. Like Part of the problem that they, they used to have is they were point-and-click games, so you would move the mouse around, click on a spot, and your character would just sort of walk there, uh, which didn't always work, and it was kind of annoying and a little bit cumbersome. Now they're controlled directly with analog stick, uh, something that console players would be uh, a little bit more used to, and you have to do some things like the interface has an interesting little highlight system where if your character walks towards it, you get like a blue sheen around it. So you can just hit an A button and interact with it directly as opposed to like choosing which interaction that you want to use. Uh, but it's a bunch of small uh, interface tweaks like that and then a whole bunch of user interface tweaks as in like the menu. And together it adds up to a game that plays surprisingly well on Switch considering its age and how it originally controlled. I, I was impressed. And complex menus, party-based system, and everything. So, yeah, that's really good. And also, Baldur's Gate 2 and Planescape Torment, two games that are on our top 25 RPG list, so you should play it. Another game that was also on our top 25 RPG list, number three, I believe, was uh, Witcher 3, which is also on Nintendo Switch. And I know that Nadia hasn't played it yet, boo. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Tr- There's a big ass game out there called Trails of Cold Steel Three. I had to play. We haven't covered it much, but um, Mike, did you get a chance to play it at all? Because I heard that there were some, um, maybe a, a few performance issues. You were talking about how the cutscenes are full resolution, but have like drop frames and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's it's really weird. So like the game itself. Uh, whatever dynamic resolution scheme that they have makes it so that it stays roughly around 30 frames per second. Uh, and actually modders have been able to mess with post-processing effects and overclock the switch to actually get it to run at 60 frames per second. That's actually up on the site right now. Um, but for some reason in cutscenes, they use full resolution. I don't think it, 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 switches to dynamic resolution at all in the cutscenes. And so what you'll have is the game runs mostly smooth, but then you get to a cutscene and it kind of like runs fine, but then will stutter in some spots. So I guess in the cutscenes, they prize the game looking really good. So you could like take a screenshot or something like that, but it, it runs a little bit weird but the game itself runs fine for the most part. I mean, it's it's probably the most impressive Switch port I've seen to date. Um, and the folks over at Saber Interactive who helped CG Project Red with it, uh, I mean, they deserve a lot of kudos, and I think we're going to see another, another one of these porting houses start to rise up, especially with as popular as the Switch has been. Nadia, you have to play it now. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, it is absolutely on my to-do list. It has been for a very long time. But I am just, going over what Mike said, I am just so impressed by what uh, porters are doing with Switch games. Like, it's not just Witcher 3, it's also like Dragon Quest uh, 11s is one we've talked about a lot because I can barely notice the difference unless you're really looking for them versus the PS4 version. 
So and, and these these file sizes are actually like very reasonable. Like uh, Dragon Quest Eleven S is half the size as it is on the PlayStation Four, and it has more content. That is that is crazy. Yeah, Switcher is I think eleven gigs in total, which is uh, pretty is that fantastic. Include the DLC. Yeah, that's everything. Yeah. Damn, it's 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 crazy. one, um, and I mean you can tell like most of that probably came in the form of like textures mm. and the uh, cutscenes that aren't rendered in game uh, are were downgraded in, in the the video style. Um, I think it works really well, Switcher in particular on a portable screen, and I got the feeling that they were aiming for that because when you blow it up on a TV, I don't think it. Like, I, I can less make that case when you blow it up mm. on a TV. Yeah, yeah. When I previewed the game at PAX East, they had me specifically play it handheld, whereas everything else was on TV. I mean, that makes sense to me. It's like, you can, if you want to play on your TV, you have so many options. You could, like, yeah. play it on your PC and just, like, scan or have that as your monitor. You can, like, play it on console. But, like, if you're playing, if you're getting it on Switch, you're getting it because it's portable, I feel like. I feel like that's, like, the... That's why that seems enticing to me. Like, I can't imagine wanting to play Witcher 3 on Switch on my TV. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. No, people are it, getting Switcher because they have never played Switch, uh, Witcher 3, and exactly. maybe they only own a Switch. And they're like, well, this is my opportunity to play it. So in and that also, case... it's so long, so it's like, it being portable, that's super... That makes it more likely to keep playing it, in a way, because it's like, oh, I can just take it wherever I go. I'm not like locked to this one platform, yeah, which and, is great. And, and I wish it had the the part of the reason that uh, Divinity Original Sin Two worked so well on the Switch, and that's also a fantastic port. But it, it's the ability to move your save game from yeah. Steam to Switch, as and I really wish that uh, Witcher had something like that. Uh, even if it was just from GOG, because uh, GOG is CD Projekt Red's uh, PC platform. But some way to move your save games back and forth would be uh, great. And that's that's sort of the future that I want. The ability to move between PC and Switch or you know PC and PS4, Xbox One and Switch, whatever. Uh, just let me move my game from platform to platform because... At the end of the day, that means I'll spend more. Like I've, I'll well, I'll have Witcher on every platform uh, if you let me move the game, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if I had a good PC, I would love to move my PS4 save to PC, but that's just not like a viable thing. And like same with Switch, like it'd be great to just like because I never finished Blood and Wine that DLC as much as I love Witcher Three. Like I just never. Because it's like, so DLC. long. It's so long. It's like a whole, like, if I want to dive back in, it's like, I'll have to, like, relearn how to play it again. Like, I think I got probably, like, halfway in that DLC. The last mission I remember doing is, like, the weird painting one where you, like, the guy, like, wants to paint pictures of Geralt everywhere. So you just kind of, like, mess with them. And that's, like, the last mission I remember doing in that DLC. And I just can't. I can't, like, I really want to play it on Switch just to see how it performs and everything. And from from what I watched on Digital Foundry, it seems pretty good portably. Like, it's not a TV game by any means. But also having to play through all that content again, even though I'd probably do different decisions and I'd probably romance Triss instead of Yennefer. But I don't know. I'm not, I, I don't know if I can do all that again. I'm not. <laughs> that, that game is too damn long. 
It's too long. <laughs> yeah, I love it to death, and I'd love to revis- revisit it, but I just can't. Like, it's the same thing with Red Dead Redemption 2, which I've also been wanting to go back into to, like, get really committed to the camp stuff like I didn't do on my first playthrough, but also, that game's too long. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> Well, yeah. it goes without saying that if you play Witcher 3, you should play it on, like, Xbox One X or PS4 Pro or PC. Uh, maybe if, if you have the option, because mm. it, this is a game that is meant, that it's beautiful. Mm. It is meant to be enjoyed from that aspect as much as it really enhances the storytelling, actually. And while the Switch is a good option if you don't have anything else, and portability is certainly a thing if you're, like, really into that, I feel like this is a little bit like watching a movie and maybe settle into a really nice comfy chair with the biggest TV that you can muster and just really enjoy this feast of an RPG. Okay. So continuing onward, uh, Katie, uh, onto an RPG that wasn't as good, unfortunately. <laughs> Katie, uh, you shotgunned Little Town Hero because... For whatever reason, Game Freak seemed to have been doing their own PR on this. Nintendo wasn't doing the PR for Little Town Hero. It was actually hard to source a review code. It was like all over the place uh, as to who actually got one. But we finally did get one, and you played it, and it was real bad. Yeah, it's not great. I'm going to be honest. Like, It's just not a good game. And it's sad because it's very charming. It has amazing art direction. It like reminded me of Nino Kuni and like this like sweet cute little ways it's just seemed really cool but it's just like a very strange rpg so it's from the director behind pocket card jockey which is a great game that's yeah, like well, fantastic game, that's probably game freak's best non-pokemon game easily. game of the decade yeah like, <laughs> i agree yeah maybe i mean I don't know, just like pocket card jockey is like really inventive really weird it has like a cool card-based combat system or not combat but you know like a card-based system Little Town Hero also has a card-based system that's just too convoluted and too hard to wrap your head around. So basically the central premise is you're this kid named Axe, or you can name him whatever you want, but I just stuck with the default name. And Axe is a kid who finds a stone and suddenly he can fight monsters that are attacking the small town. And literally this tiny town is the only environment in this game and it's not big at all but there's fast travel for some reason even though you don't need it because it takes like (laughs) 30 seconds to run anywhere on the map uh but i I was utilizing that fast travel a lot just because i wasn't enjoying my time with it i was just trying to get through as fast as possible uh but so the combat system is super super confusing at first and it took me a long time to get a handle of uh so basically you have three hearts as your life And then you have like a deck of ideas, which are basically your cards. But what you get per round or per turn is random. Like you don't know, you can't like plan like, okay, this is like my default deck or whatever. You have no control over that. So you have these random things and then it costs action points to activate them and be able to use them in battle. But you, at the start of each match, you only have three action points. So there's a lot, sometimes you'll like go into a turn and you only have like, one action point cards that are supposed to boost your other cards you've activated or you have like four point cards that you can't even use because you don't have enough action points because you have not been in the battle long enough to get more action points which every three turns you get like oh you have like another action point you can use on your turns so every battle just lasts so so long because you're waiting to get to the max like six point action points you can use for your turns and you cannot skip or stall your turn 
So when you're in those like no-win situations where, oh, I only have cards that are useless to me or cards that I cannot afford, then you just have to do a struggle move, which basically you get body damage, which is your three hearts. And when you lose all three hearts, the match is over and you lose and you have to restart it. So you basically just have to sacrifice yourself and just like try and restart the battle to hope you get a better roll of the dice, I guess. And then when you get into boss fights, it gets even more complicated because now you have like a whole board game thing. So like every, at the end of every turn, you move, you like roll dice. It's like one to four spaces you move. And then you move across like this like board game kind of like Mario Party style. And then some places there'll be like a, a support character that offers like curry to help you mix cards together. Or maybe there's a cannon that if you use one specific move, it will like inflict damage to hurt the boss but like every other character this boss has like a bunch of shields on so you have to knock down the shields and then you have to to get to the heart to knock them out so every battle takes like an hour to two hours long because it's just so long to do anything and it's just uh it's such a frustrating game it's so just i think just how long the battles take was just really grinding and not in like a fun i'm getting like I'm being really strategic way it's just a this sucks so much kind of way. <laughs> yeah. That it's, this is a thing that I've seen on more than one RPG. Uh, Cosmic Star Heroine is another one where it's not not as bad for, for sure, but when regular encounters take way too long to complete, it starts yeah. to get pretty exhausting and boring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, can I just say that I feel like in this age, uh, 2019, Year of Our Lord, uh, if you're going to have a card-based RPG like we already have Slay the Spire so that is your bar uh, please try to meet it <laughs> Slay yeah, the Spire another... is like it sets a really high bar and it's a somewhat different game also yeah and... I feel like just it's just like card battling in general should live up to you know at least part of that like try to reach that standard you don't have to necessarily reach like right there but try give it I your all the... oh, I, was, I was gonna say like the weird thing about this game is there are no, like, random encounters. There's no, like, place you can run around just to, like, you know, practice or, like, try and level up. Because there's no pro- there's no progression in, like, the traditional leveling up or, like, sense. Or there's no items you can get to, like, heal yourself. It's all in the story, which is bizarre to me. Because sometimes, like, I just want to go run around and practice and try and get better at this combat. But it's only in the story. And, like, the thing is, this combat system's really interesting on the surface. Like, you can see where it could work. But they just keep adding system on top of system on top of it. Like, the whole, like, heart system to actually inflict damage and end the battle is stupid. It should be when I wipe out their deck of cards. I don't understand why they're adding this whole other layer on top of it that just takes forever to get to. Because you can't even damage unless you have, like, this certain card type activated when you do your final move, but if you use that card on the final move, it doesn't count because you just like expense that card. So it's just so there's just so much yeah. going wrong. When when I was editing this review, uh, I, I said to Katie, I was like, "Wow, this must be really complex because like I don't get a clear picture of the game's combat from what you're saying." in this review, and she's like, "I tried my best," and even now, <laughs> just like explaining it here on the podcast is just kind of like what yeah it's it's <laughs> okay. really baffling it's like a weird weird ass system like i 
almost in my review, I was gonna do, like, a screenshot breakdown where I, like, wrote, like, on Photoshop, just, like, drew circles around shit to explain everything, cause it was, it's, there's just so much going on on the screen, like, looking at a screenshot, there's just, like, so many meters and so many numbers, and it's just hard to break down. It's a weird game, and it's, unfortunately, also very tedious and boring. Well, this is Game bad. Freak being, I want to say, experimental. <laughs> Like, yeah. this is their time to... I, I think they've said previously that they use these games to try out new concepts and basically see if they can come up with another, maybe another franchise that can go right alongside Pokemon. Maybe Little Town Hero was never going to be that game. It felt like a proof of concept in some ways. Mm. So... Uh, and then, as we were already discussing earlier, there's the extremely stupid narrative that Little Town Hero was somehow stealing resources from Pokemon, which isn't really yeah. how it works. Yeah, I don't understand. People were saying, like, oh, they moved the A-team to Little Town Hero, and that's where all the resources went. And Like, there is no fucking evidence for that. Like, none <laughs> whatsoever. Like, literally, it's the pocket card jockey director, so you know it's that B-team. Like, what... <laughs> Such a people are crazy. I just don't get, don't get that nerd at all. <laughs> they really are. Well, they just are. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like a great game. Probably not recommended from the blood god. Not recommended. Yeah, <laughs> that's really one. a shame because I always, I always like to try to support Game Freak because I know they want to be more than just Pokemon. And Pocket Card Jockey again demonstrates they can do really good, fun, unusual things. But unfortunately, this isn't one of them. Yeah, it's a shame. And it, like at its best moments, it kind of remind me of Thronebreaker, which was. CD Projekt Red's interesting Gwent RPG they put out last year because I had like a similar weird structure, weird puzzle type encounters too with cards. And I think like that's where Little Town Heroes kind of adds best, but it's like so few and far between. It's like two times maybe in the campaign where it's like, oh, this is kind of cool. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's just unfortunate. Yeah, it's real shame because I really, I really want more card based games. Like, yeah. uh, SteamWorld Quest was a good idea. It just need, needed a little bit more. And then this is really disappointing. And I just bring back Phantom Dust. Damn you, Microsoft. <laughs> Play Slay the Spire. Uh, all right. An RPG that we can recommend. And Mike reviewed it. Katie, you've been playing it as well. I got it on my computer. I, I need to play it, but I've got a certain really big review to play, which is Death Stranding, which, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, okay, guys. Proceed to gush about Disco Elysium. Go forth. <laughs> uh, do you want to start first, or should I go, Katie? I don't, you're the one that reviewed it. I'm the one. Yeah. I'm in the opening hours. I've played probably like five hours so far. I'm very, I'm like in the baby steps. Yeah, so so Disco Elysium, it, it, I, I said it in the review, it reminds me a lot of Planescape Torment in that uh, you wake up with no memory of who you are and part of the game is sort of filling out not only the backstory of the world and of your character but also sort of forging the type of character that you are uh and the way it stands out is sort of by making all of your skills almost their own specific characters so like let's put it this way like there's a skill called inland empire which is essentially your imagination it, it it denotes your imagination and as you'll be talking to somebody 
uh, in a normal conversation, Inland Empire will pop into the conversation and offer up its own take on what's happening. So every conversation in the game is a dialogue between your main character, the people outside of them, the NPCs, and his own sort of inner monologue. And it sounds confusing, but it actually works out to be really fantastic. Uh, you have a total of 24 different skills across your character. Uh, and the ones that are most prominent are based on your uh, stat uh, build. Uh, it's like uh, Motorix, which is your physical stuff. Intelligence. Uh, I forget the other one, like Charisma. And there's another one. But how you build your character there determines which skills are pushed to the forefront, which ones uh, interject in your conversations and in your life. And I mean, it has the normal skill checks. You know, if your charisma is high, you can convince people to do stuff. Uh, if your logic is high, you'll sort of pick out different uh, bits of the background or you can puzzle through certain situations but all the skills are interesting and uh, and they each are their own tiny character and it just adds this real interesting narrative when you put everything together i just i've never quite seen a game an rpg like it yeah it's like i'm just in the opening hours like i said before but it's interesting like even his clothes both enter the conversation like in the beginning um like mike i think you mentioned this in your review like you can find his tie hanging on his ceiling fan like and that's like one of the first things you you can do when you wake up but you can totally miss that and just not wear tie but if you get that tie like i got the tie and the tie is constantly nagging me like every decision i'm making and the tie is just saying like i should like you know lick that alcohol bottle like just do it like you want to do it and, it, and, like, trying to get him to fall back into, like, his quote-unquote, like, old ways. Because he kind of, like, woke up from a drunken binge. And he doesn't remember his name. He doesn't remember anything. Which is kind of the perfect, I guess, platform for role-playing. Because you're kind of making this character how you want him to be. Yeah. And then it has, like, some other interesting, like, smaller systems. So, like, there's a health and morale system. And uh, there's no necessarily combat like there will be violent encounters that you can have and you can lose health from those encounters. But more interesting is the morale, which is certain things that will happen. Like uh, early on, I had a conversation with this girl and I chose a self-deprecating quote and it hit my morale. Like my morale oh, dropped I also by two love points. When that, that ping drops into it. it's like, oh, your morale went down. I'm like, what? <laughs> like so sad. Like, damn it, I made my guy sad. Yeah, and you and made yourself sad. And if your morale drops to zero, your guy just gives up. Like, yeah. that's still the end of the game for you. But instead of dying, he just gives up. He drops into a funk, and then the game is over. Um, but the ways that your morale can drop are like really interesting. Like there's a poster, uh, related to like communism. And it, if you read the poster, the poster is like 
like only you can like it, it basically focuses the the good outcome on you and if you don't have the sort of right skill to blunt it there are skills that will be like no that's stupid uh that can lower your morale too so like they're they're really interesting ways that they mess with health and morale and then there's also the thought system where sometimes you'll uh be you'll come across an idea and then you can sort of equip that idea and make it a part of yourself and make it a part of your composition as a person uh again another early on one is uh my i had a random thought like oh i'm a superstar and that became a thought (laughs) that you can then equip to yourself and then it sort of becomes a part of your character's personality so i'm i thought i was a superstar cop which made me sort of an asshole diva uh but there's a whole bunch of different thoughts like that that change how your character grows and changes and responds to different things over the course of the game it's just it's a really interesting RPG overall, like that does things that when you look at them on the surface, you're like, Oh, that's, I mean, that's pretty simple extrapolation of this, but I can't think of any other RPGs that have tried it. Apparently it's an RPG that hates centrism. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. it, It doesn't, it's, it's definitely almost in that, that, uh south park kind of thing where i feel like it hates everything <laughs> yeah yeah a little bit it's def- it's definitely like a little bit yeah <laughs> yeah uh, i was gonna say i like i think something that really elevates all these like weird systems and like all your thoughts talking to you and your clothes talking to you while also talking to npcs and everything is i feel like the dialogue is all really well written at least so far in my experience like uh, there's this one scene early on where you go to a cop car thing and radio your station because you're a cop from out of town and you want you need to report your badge stolen. And then it's just like this dialogue with all the NPCs on the other side, like the, I guess, your co-workers at the station who are just totally ro- like railing into you for losing your badge. And it's just like a funny like back and forth of like, hey, like Dick Mullen like lost his badge. Can you believe it? And then it's just like a bunch of people like piggybacking off it and just totally roasting him but it's like all comes across in like a really natural way like it's just like all the bouncing off and it just seems like really like oh this is definitely something that would happen and all the dialogue kind of comes in or comes across as feeling very genuine to this world almost like there's a few conversations that just kind of go off the rails in weird ways but it's all like really well written uh which it, which leads to another point, which makes it a shame that the voice acting is kind of all over the place. Like sometimes it's the sound mixing is really weird. Like there's a another part early on where it's just very loud and it, like blew out my headphones and I was like ah like that was too loud. <laughs> uh, and then some recordings just don't sound as crisp as others. And some of the voice acting is just like frankly not that good. So it's kind of a bummer that it's a little mixed in that department because so much of it does lean on dialogue. But, so it kind of makes me wish, like, I could just turn off voice acting, which maybe I can't even look, actually, uh, to just play it with just reading, because the voice acting is just not consistent enough for my taste. Yeah, the voice acting definitely has that, uh, call up your friends on Skype and get yeah. them to record the lines. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely not, not great sometimes. I mean, there are, like, definitely characters that are good. Like, I think Kim's a pretty good 
voice acting, and there's like a few other characters you come across that seem solid, but I don't know. It's definitely like a bit of they put up like a ad and just let anyone come into the studio for it type thing. What do you guys think of the combat? Because it doesn't really seem like much of a combat-focused RPG. Uh, it doesn't necessarily, like yeah, I said, it doesn't, it doesn't have, have combat. combat per se. Like there will be encounters that you will have that may end up in someone yeah, getting like punched or yeah. someone getting shot. But there isn't like there isn't like a you explore and you talk to people and then over here you're fighting. It's just oh you're talking to a person and now this encounter is violent. Yeah, like I got like the first time I died was there's this guy who just like was not I was not getting through to him because my character is very like he has like high charisma or whatever it's called. I know there's the name for it. It's not charisma, but I have like the high charisma like thing. I think I maxed that out. I have like medium logic, so I'm like pretty smart. But I'm also very weak and like I have ba- bad motor skills. So I'm kind of like playing with that in mind. And I was trying to like sweet talk this guy into like letting me letting him move past so i can like push his button or whatever to open a door and he just just was not having it so it just like resulted in like okay i'm just gonna punch him i'm just gonna see like if this will this will do it and like he just like literally just grabbed me and i died like instantly because he was so strong so but it luckily the save like put me right before that conversation so i was like well i'm just not gonna do that this time yeah and then the like the the I was talking earlier, I was talking to a little girl and trying to explain how I lost my morale. Uh, the first skill, I think, is like intelligence, and I didn't have that high, so my logic is pretty low. And so I was explaining to the girl that I was a detective, and then at that point, I was supposed to detect something about her, but my logic skill was so low that I like looked at her, and then I was just like, yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> and that's how my morale dropped. <laughs> Couldn't explain self to little girl. Right. <laughs> Seems like a really clever RPG, all things considered, uh, that it really strays off the beaten path in the way that it presents quest design and character interactions and that kind of thing. I really like the notion of constantly having to deal with your own intrusive thoughts. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah. A, it's a lot of fun. And, and, as I said in the review, like as you get used to them and you play more to the game, uh, each of the thoughts has sort of its own personality, like its way of talking. Uh, like I pointed out in the review, uh, drama was one of my uh, higher skills uh, oh, on the second playthrough. And drama talks like a washed up actor. Like, it has that definite vibe. So, I like, I feel like when they were crafting each of these skill dialogues, they were like, so what is, what does endurance sound like? What does perception sound like? Uh, or, like, suggestion. Like, what would they sound like if they were actual characters? And as you play more of the game, you sort of get that feeling of them. It, sh- it seems like this game maybe could tell you some things about yourself that you don't want to know in terms of how you find yourself role-playing through the game. And then it'll, and then it'll judge you for it. Yeah, yeah. no, it definitely will. It definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I'm, I'm just having like a lot of fun with it. It's just really unique. I love the art design of it. It just has like a very cool look. Like I feel like a lot of CRPGs have, they're all in like fantasy or like super sci-fi type environments. And it's, cool to see just like a detective thing in this weird 
sort of sci-fi like there's definitely like sci-fi elements in it but it doesn't feel like knocking over the head like this is like about space you know it's it's just like a very unique world very grimy but it has like this cool like noir type tone because detective stuff and it's just like very cool it's just very well written and it's kind of the perfect rpg for right now do we know if it's coming out on console I don't think they've said anything about it, but I I also th- feel like if this is a big hit, probably. I mean, I wouldn't put it past them, you know? Like, Divinity, I don't think, was, like, at the jump. They were, like, I don't think they said, we're doing consoles, too. I think because Divinity Original Sin 2 was such a big hit, eventually came to console type thing. So I can see that being the case here. Yeah, they haven't said anything, and they're a smaller studio, so it might, depending on how much they have, but, like, even in terms of releases like i think it's just a steam release like they didn't even have i guess enough resources to do other platforms on pc so maybe it'll come to switch one day but i i would expect that would be like a down the road kind of thing it's getting a lot of positive word of mouth but i wonder if it's going to actually become a breakout hit just because it's such a mm, it's not a power fantasy per se. It's very uh, experimental. It's uh, it. I want to say is all about. Uh, it has a very strong storytelling aspect to it. Maybe not as much because cu- there is customization, as it were, and like very strong role playing. But maybe not as immediately like jump out standard appealing as a game like divinity original sin as it were yeah it's kind of off the beaten path i i could see some people uh falling off of it because it's not 100 standard fantasy or like super sci-fi um but i really enjoyed and it's the kind of thing that i hope other developers who make rpgs get a chance to play and start to sort of bring some of that stuff over to maybe uh, games with more larger budget that are pretty traditional, you know, working on the CRPG, like, genre or foundation. Either way, I'm always down for games that experiment a lot with how role-playing works and everything, so that is a lot of fun. Uh, Mike, what did you end up giving Disco Elysium on the site? Uh, 4.5 out of 5. It's a great game. very good, very good. Well, I'm sure it'll probably be finding its way onto our top 20 list at the end of the year. But, okay. Thanks to Katie and Mike for coming on and talking about all of the various RPGs. It's it's hard to talk about all of them in a ton of depth just because of how many there are at the moment. But suffice it to say, no matter what system you own right now, uh, I think you're doing okay <laughs> uh, from the RPG You'll find standpoint, something. you're going to find something, whether it's Nino Kuni or Dragon Quest or Disco Elysium or the uh, the Baldur's Gate games and everything. Like they're all out there. They they fit every taste, and that's great. Yeah, they all want to be your friend. All right, guys, <laughs> thanks so much, and uh, let's move on to a couple of quick mailbag questions. Uh, 
All right, thanks to Mike and Katie for coming on to talk about all the various RPGs that have been coming out on PC and PS4 and uh, Nintendo Switch and whatnot. Let's uh, quickly do some mailbag questions. Last week, we did a mailbag. <laughs> we certainly did. Uh, which we taught taught talked about a lot of different things, including the legacy of Final Fantasy XIII and what RPG you should start with first. Um, and also difficulty in games, which is a thing. Uh, Drachmalius said, Glad to hear Blood God weigh in on the difficulty discourse. I love hard games and tend to play a lot of games on normal or hard mode. Also love Sekiro and the Souls games. That doesn't mean I'm going to dictate how other people play. That's just ludicrous. Every time this conversation starts again, some folks try to force their experience down everyone's throat. Just let everyone else choose how they want to play a game. I promise it won't make your experience worse. I think, so I got to play Jedi Fallen Order earlier this week. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. You can go find my impressions on the site, including gameplay video and all that. And uh, the thing that stood out to me about Jedi Fallen Order was that it was basically the Sekiro difficulty debate, but it's, look, you can play it on very accessible or you can play it on grandmaster difficulty with like really hardcore parry windows and everything. Just pick whatever, go for it. Yeah. Uh, the trails games, uh, give you the uh, choice between five difficulty settings. Like if you want to just kind of play and enjoy the story, great. It's there. If you want to be punished until the ends of the earth is there, it's options are good. Sammy J nine wants to defend final fantasy 13 gasp. Oh, yeah, there's there's one in every crowd. Good for you, Sammy. I mostly agree with you that the characters are generally bland and the plot isn't good. Um, we're not off to a good start here. <laughs> Hell, it even requires you to read the in-game the lore menus to even have a chance of understanding what's going on. But I actually really like the battle system. Treat it more like you're a manager rather than actually controlling your party as they fight, basically giving orders for the situations you're given. I really like the game once you get to Pulse and it's more open. The problem is that the good parts of the game are buried in the last 25%, and you don't even really get a chance to team build and use the battle system to its full potential until you're nearly done with the game. Overall, it's very mediocre, but I still like it for the battles and the environment's pulse, and the music is very good. Yeah, um, I have listened to the soundtrack for 13, and it is excellent, but uh, the rest of it's kind of eh. Yeah, I mean... I've shared my thoughts on Final Fantasy Thirteen. Go listen to the previous article. <laughs> I rip into it pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you did. So yeah, uh, FTL Mantis says, I think there's basically no situation in which I buy a next generation console at launch. This generation has been a massively disappointing, and I see no reason to believe the next one won't be. Really? It's been massively disappointing? Oh, I feel the opposite, but everyone has their own feelings, I suppose. I just feel like we've never had so many options. Like, God, you PC, PlayStation 4, and Switch are all just shining right now. I think it's been a way better generation than last generation. I thought last generation sucked. Yeah, uh, last generation, I feel, was like just so kind of hopeless. Like, the PlayStation 3 took so long to take off. Xbox 360 has some good stuff, but uh, it just kind of really narrowed down what I liked about video games. Like, the JRPGs scene, as we know, was, was a little bit dead. Yeah, it was pretty exciting last gen to be getting indies uh you know that kind of thing but nintendo was full-on in i want to say a bit of a funk at that time yeah. like there were some good games coming out of it but it was kind of a bad time and it was a bad time for japanese games in general it was in general yeah uh like i've heard that uh japanese developers had a hard time getting a handle on hd yeah so i mean it was it. a whole mess of factors that i've touched on before but i 
so Japanese developers were having a hard time, and it felt like a lot of console developers were so cynical in the way that they presented games, and there was a real dude bro aspect to so many of the blockbuster games at that time. Obviously, yeah, there were also definitely. really good games that were coming out at that time, but I honestly think that a lot of the games that came out this generation, like Witcher 3, were better, so... Yeah, I, I feel like this is one of the best generations we've had in a very long time. Mm. So, uh, uh, yeah, so to each their own. I'm sure people have their own reasons for not liking this particular generation, but I just feel like uh, compared to last year, it, it's looking so much brighter for the industry. Uh, don't forget also last generation is also when mobile seemed poised to take everything over. And uh, in, in many cases, he did have a lot of Japanese developers jumping ship over to mobile, making middling to poor games. And, uh, you know, a lot of them have, they still, even if they still make mobile, they've gone back to consoles as well. That for a long time, it just seemed like all these like really, not just Japanese developers, but popular, famous developers in general were making games for not just mobile, but Facebook. It was just weird. I do think that at the top end, like Blockbuster, like there's way too many service games, as it were. Like I'm like pretty sick of those. Like I think we've really hit saturation there. But That's true. I agree. We were just talking about Disco Elysium and that kind of thing. It really feels like in this generation, there is a something for every taste. Like There is. If you have a particular thing that you love in games, like maybe you like strategy games with spaceships, you're going to find it somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. If you, mm-hmm. you love a freaking, if you love hardcore indie games, walking simulators, you're going to find that. If you're going to find, if you want RPGs, you, a hardcore, super in-depth, isometric RPGs, you're going to get that with stuff like Divinity Original Sin. If you want a freaking goose game, you got a freaking goose game. <laughs> you can be an asshole goose, people. What more do you want out of video games? <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, it's truly a best of times, worst of times kind of situation because the fire hose of games is overwhelming. It's really hard for developers to continue to be viable um we've seen the decline of some really like strong developers favorites from previous generations like bioware but at the same time we've seen new ones rise up like larian and cd project so and so i don't know like i i can't really call this uh generation bad but okay no i definitely think so all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. As always, Acts of the Blood God is U.S. Gamer Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Please leave us a review, subscribe to our newsletter, follow us on social media. If you enjoyed Mike and Katie, Mike is at Automatic Zen. Katie is at You May Katie. That's Y U M E C A T Y. And I am at the underscore Catbot. And Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Uh, lots of cool coverage on the site as usual. Nadia has been covering Luigi's Mansion. I have been covering Jedi Fallen Order, the reviews of games like Disco Elysium and all of that jazz. And also there was a cool story from Eric uh, just today about how a rookie speedrunner slashed Dragon Age Inquisition's world record to pieces. Yeah, and like they beat it really fast, like in like in less than an hour. Oh, geez. Which is like just completely ridiculous. So go read that story. Okay, thanks, everybody. We'll be back next week. And until then, I've been Kat Bailey. And for Nadia and myself, happy adventuring.